Hello, I'm Brian Foster, and today I am live streaming, and we're talking about spiritism. Today is Sunday, October 24th, 2021, and we're going to go over the Spiritist Review, 1858, and the first subject we're going to talk about is the Confession of Louis XI. Before we begin, let's have a prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for all all of us listening and watching this video talking about spiritism please open our hearts and minds to learn about the spirit realm and to help us adapt ourselves to what life is really like on the planet of earth and prepare ourselves for our life in the spirit realm amen so tonight's going to be interesting for those who like history so in the spiritist review there is a <clears throat> psychograph text of part of Louis the 11th. Now, before I begin about Louis the 11th, let's let us talk about uh, where to get information about spiritism. You can download for free the Spirits book by Alan Kardec. You can also of course buy it on if on the um, FEB website, which you can go if you go to my website nwspiritism.com. I'll put this up on the screen. So you can get to it easy. You can click on his picture. It'll take you to the FEB website and you can buy it from them. It's I think it's actually cheaper than if you buy it on Amazon. But also, if you just put in Alan Kardec space PDF, you'll find all of his books on PDF. That's how I got it first. The other book you may want to read is kind of, kind of a very short interview uh, overview, introduction to the basic tenets of Spiritism. And that is my book, Spiritism 101, The Third Revelation. And again, on NW Spiritism, you can download that in PDF for free. So please download. It's also in French. And I think Alan Kardec's Spirits books in actually many languages. So you may be able to find that in other languages too. Okay. Let's start on the uh, Confessions of Louis the Eleventh. Now, before we begin... I want to go show you a picture of Louis XI. Now, here's Louis XI. Now, he was called Louis the Prudent. Not, not a very flattering picture, I'd say. Now, first of all, St. Louis, or St. Louis, as some people would say, like for the city, is... Oh, what happened? Oh, here we go. Wrong one. Here is a picture of, of St. Louis. So this, is, this would be... Louis the Ninth. So this would be his grandfather. So this is a different person altogether, just to set the record straight. So Louis the Eleventh is different. If we look at, so I want to go over this because then you can see, uh, you can see how um, spirits they talk about themselves, what's really happening in history. It, it gets pretty exciting when um, when you put some of these, you know, people who are in the physical life. And it versus people who uh, then talk to spirits. So let me get rid of this. Let me hide hide all items. There we go. So in this little little vignette in this the story on Louis the um, the eleventh, it has to do with uh, Charles. With it, actually, um, they call him the Count of Charles, who later became uh, Charles the first, and so, but this is this is about uh, Louis the Eleventh, who was also called Louis the Prudent. 
he wasn't the greatest. <laughs> so he wasn't the greatest guy. He actually rebelled against his father uh, once. And he started doing it again. His father, and then he just ran away to Burgundy. He stayed in, in Burgundy and came back when his father died. He was pretty successful. But so uh, what I wanted to come here, and let me actually make this a little bit bigger so people can read it. There we go. Again, here is a, I know it's Charlotte. Let me come back here. Feud with Charles the Bolt. So let's give you some background. So, Philip's the son, who was the Duke of Burgundy, the future Charles I, Duke of Burgundy, but also he was known as a Count of Charolais. So that's, you'll hear that name when I read this part in the, in the Spiritist Review, the Count of Charolais. And they had a really rough uh, relationship. And when and so let me read this one paragraph just to uh, let people know. So when the Count of Charles became Duke of Burgundy, Burgundy in fourteen sixty seven, Charles the First the Bold was had seriously considered declaring an independent kingdom of his own. However, Louis, which is Louis the Eleventh, progress towards a strong centralized government has advanced to the point where the Dukes of Burgundy could no longer. Wait, let me see. Uh, could no longer act as independently as they had in the past. The duchy now faced uh, many problems and revolts in its territories. Oh, yeah, people weren't happy. Now, in 1466, oh, went up too high. Sorry about that. Okay. In 1468, I should say, Louis and Charles. These are our two protagonists in the story, met at Perion. But during the course of the negotiations, they learned that the citizens of Liege has risen up against Charles and killed the Burgundian and governor. Charles was furious. Philip de Comis, at that time in the service of the Duke of Burgundy, had to calm him down with the help of the Duke's other advisors for fear he might hit the king. Louis was forced into a humiliating treaty. So he, he retreated quickly, right? However, once out of Charles' reach, this is Louis, Louis declared the treaty invalid and set about building up his forces. His aim was to destroy Burgundy once and for all. Nothing was more odious to Louis' dream of a centralized monarchy than the existence of an overmighty vassal such as the Duke of Burgundy. War broke out in 1472. Duke Charles laid, laid siege to some towns. However, they were unsuccessful. He finally sued for peace. And then he was welcomed into the um, service of King Louis. But you'll see how it goes later. So this is just a little bit of background until we, we when we read of what you're seeing for other things, we can know what's going on. So let me get to okay, let me find the there we go. Now let's get to the PDF. Confessions of of Louis. The eleventh. Now, this is the story of his life. Now, this is a part of this, and this was dictated by Louis the eleventh to Mrs. Mademoiselle, I guess, Hermas Dufault. And this is uh, Alan Kardec writing this. When talking about the story of Joan of Arc, and this is Alan Kardec writing about this in uh, eighteen fifty-eight, because this is his monthly magazine in 1850, 1858 in the Spiritist Review. And she wrote a 
published book about Joan of Arc, dictated by her, proposing to cite several passages. We said that Miss Defoe had also written the story of Louis XI. This work, one of the most precious of its kind, contains valuable documents from a historical point of view. In that work, Louis XI shows himself as the profound politician that we know. Because he, he was successful. He was ruthless, but he was successful. He was called, I think someone said, uh, Louis the, the Prudent. <laughs> so, besides, he gives us the key to several so far inexplicable facts. From the spiritist point of view, is one of the most curious presentations of lengthy works produced by the spirits. Two things are remarkable with that regard. The speed of execution, as it took only 15 days to dictate the subject of a thick volume, and a precise memory that a spirit may keep of its earthly life. To those who doubted the origin of this work, wanted it to attribute to the memory of Miss Duffel, we would say it would be necessary that a 14-year-old child had a phenomenal memory, not a less extraordinary Precocity in order to be able to write in a surge a work of such a nature. However, admitting that it was so, we asked where such a child could obtain the new explanations about the somber politics of Louis XI, and if it were not more interesting that her parents had attributed the merit to her. From all stories written through her, Joan of Arc was the only one published. We hope that others will follow soon, and we anticipate a greater success. Oh, so this, this person wrote <laughs> Joan of Arc when she was only 14. Now, Talk about Joan of Arc. This is where spiritism gets very interesting, and it gets it gets in the realm of 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 you know it's not necessary to be a spiritist uh, as far as it, it gets where you just want to know people's history of who they were in the past, and um, you know the fact that some spiritists say, and I'm I'm you know going off a tangent here. Some spiritists say that Alexander the Great was the same soul as as uh, uh, Julius Caesar, who was the, the same person as Napoleon, which kind of makes sense when you look at it. And now Joan of Arc, what spiritists say, and, it, and many spiritists say this, uh, and I've read this in spiritist books, was, was Judas. Judas, who, of course, the one who betrayed uh, Jesus Christ. And of course, now, and also in spiritist literature, you'll see that Jesus felt really bad for, for Judas. And he didn't like that had to happen. It, um, and so that's why Judas was given a way to uh, to pay for his past wrongs, like we all do in one life after another. And Judas really did because he was Joan of Arc. And, and as most people know, Joan of Arc died being burned to death. Not a good death. And she played uh, just a wonderful part in the history of France. Okay. Let me carry on with Louis XI. So, facing the historical fact that Louis XI had, been, had given the general government of Normandy, I didn't say, to the Count of Charolais, historians confess they cannot understand a king who was such a great politician making such a mistake. The explanations given by Louis XI are difficult to contest, since confirmed by three facts known to all the conspiracy of Constaine, Count Charolais' trip following the execution of the culprit. And finally, the assignment of the general government of the Normandy to this prince, province which united the states of Burgundy and Brittany, enemies always allied against Louis XI. Okay, so why did he do that? Now remember, the Count of Charolais, who be later became Charles the Bold, was a very cunning opponent. 
and Louis XI wanted wanted all his vassals to, you know, as anyone who wants power, to be, you know, to be subservient to him, to know, hey, you're you're the boss. But Charles the Bold, you know, he was his own his own person. So now Louis XI thus writes. The Count of Charolais, and I'm probably pronouncing this wrong, so forgive me, was awarded with the general government of Normandy and a pension of 36,000 pounds, which was an amazing amount of money. It was a great imprudence to increase the power of the Burgundy house in such a way. Although this explanation keeps us away from the link of England's businesses, I think it's my duty to explain here the motives that led me so to, to so proceed. Soon after his return from the Netherlands, the Duke of Burgundy had fallen seriously ill. The Count of Cholet did love his father, despite the displeasures imposed on him. It is certain that his impulsive and impetuous character, and above all, my perfidious insinuations, could excuse him. He treated him with perfect filial love, day and night, not moving away from his bed. The old Duke's crisis. Now, remember, the Duke of Burgundy is the father of the Count of Cholet, who, who was going to become the, the Charles the Bold, and an opponent for a while. And it, look, in these times. In these times of, of 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 Europe, it was it was more like mafia families battling each other, and they would kill each other, and then they would hug each other. I mean, these people aren't the best people. But now, but think here's here's Louis the Eleventh talking about what he did. Now he's in some level of heaven, probably. He's probably lived some life since then, paid for his past wrongs, and he's now in a position to say, "Oh, okay, let me tell you the truth of what I did." So you know. These people that write these these things about themselves, and who are just completely honest, such as the um, uh, the memoirs of a suicide, uh, just like this is one of the best books ever, memoirs of a suicide by Yvonne uh, Piero, and and Camilo Bronco was kind of known as the uh, as a pretty famous writer in Portugal during the end of the 19th century when he committed suicide. But he just writes the complete truth about what he did. I mean, I hope I can I can do that at some point in time because these guys are to be admired. Okay. The old Duke crisis made me reflect seriously. I hated the Count and thought I had everything to fear from him. Nevertheless, he had only one daughter at a young age, circumstance, which after the Duke's death, who did not give indications that would live long, had originated a minority which the Flemish, always turbulent, had made extremely stormy. I could have easily, I could have then easily taken over, if not all the properties of the Burgundy House, at least part of it, by masking the absurd, absurd usurpation with an alliance or by leaving everything that power would yield as hateful. There were more than necessary reasons. The, there were more than necessary reasons to poison the Count of Chalet. Besides, the idea of, of a crime would no longer scare me. So this is what I was thinking. Okay, what's the, what's the way of a dictator or a king getting rid of his rivals? You poison them. Been around forever. I managed to seduce the Princess Sommelier, Jean Constein. Italy was a kind of poisoner's laboratory. It was here that Con Jean Constein sent Jean the IV, who had who he had corrupted by a considerable amount of money to be paid on his return. The IV wanted to know the target of the poison. The Sommelier committed the imprudence of revealing that it was the Count. After accomplishing his task, the Ivy showed up to receive the agreed amount, but, but instead of paying, Constein covered him with indignity. Furious with the reception, the Ivy swore, swore vengeance. He went to Count Charolais and told him everything he knew. 
Constantine was arrested and taken to Ripamont Castle. Afraid of torture, he confessed to everything but my complicity, hoping perhaps I would intercede in his favor. He was already at the top of the tower, place destined to, his, to the execution, and everything was prepared to behead him when he manifested a desire to speak to the Count. He then told the Count about the role I played in the attempted murder. Despite his amazement and rage, he did not speak. As a result, those present could only make vague conjectures based on the surprising events created by the reports. Yet despite this importance of such a revelation, Constein was decapitated and his properties confiscated, but delivered to the Duke of Burgundy's family. His informer had the same fate, partially due to an answer given to the Prince of Burgundy. The latter asked if the promised amount would have been paid if we would have denounced the plot. With an unconceivable recklessness, he said no. When the Count came to the tours, he requested a private audience. He showed all the fury and covered me with condemnation. So when, when the person finally would become Charles the Bull, now this is why these guys never trust each other, right? One tried to kill the other. But then again, you know, you think within our normal lives, like, oh, I never trust that guy. But then again, you have to remember, these are all mafia families. And this is where, you know, there was the priest down the road. But also remember that if you paid enough money to the church, you're forgiven for everything. He showed all his fury, covered me with condemnation. I calmed down, giving him the general government of Normandy and a pension of 36,000 pounds. The general government was a decorative title, and from the pension, he received only the first part. So, again, <laughs> like, like, you know, you can't trust the thief. He gave him the general government. What? It's just the title. There's nothing. And the 36,000 pounds, he just received part of it. He never got the rest of it. It was all to buy off the fact that he tried to kill this other guy. Exactly how a mafia family would work. And a lot of this is still true to our politicians today. A lot of them can't be trusted, unfortunately. This will change when we get to a plan of regeneration. But isn't it interesting to hear the truth out of these people who, who are, you know, here, Louis XI saying, oh, this is what I did. And he's not saying, he's just telling the truth. This is exactly how a higher spirit would tell you. He's reporting. So that was the history. I hope, I hope that was interesting to people um, of why, you know, why a certain thing happened. Because history has no knowledge of why he made this guy the governor general of Normandy and gave him a, a uh, pension. But now you know because he got caught trying to kill him. Okay, now here's the, the next part in the uh, Spirits of View 1858. Now this is by St. Louis, who was Louis IX, who was the great-grandfather. Now this he was a very good king. But now, what is good? Good as in a very nice person, whereas Louis XI may be deemed a more successful king because he was ruthless. All this will change as the earth becomes more mature and knows that those who love and help and are charitable, those are the truly good people, the truly successful people. Whereas our culture is, well, the more ruthless you are and the more you can make money, the better you are, right? You know, all this is going to change. So if you're one of those people that, you know, make a living, not too much, not too little, or, or whatever you think you are, just but try to keep your, 
your head focused you're trying to increase your spirituality you at the same time you're trying to make sure your family has a place to sleep and you can eat pay the mortgage all that stuff you are you are the ones you are in the, the earth on a successful trip versus people who take power and money and that 80 years that they live and probably the 30 years that they they live really richly because it took them a while to get in position so they could steal the money or take the money by nefarious means that is like a eyelash it's like a you know a flash of the eye a blink of the eyes there i finally found the words i wanted to use compared to in the spirit world it's nothing and these people are going to go down into the lower zone louis louis the 11th who knows how long he spent in the lower zone and then how many lives it took him to get out of that situation so he could get into a position where he could communicate to the medium and tell okay this is what i did and you know congratulations to him okay now this is instructions about fertility and premonition one of our corresponding members wrote the following last september a fast boat crossing from dunkirk to ostend was caught by surprise by a nightly storm the boat capsized having four of the eight crew members perished the remaining four in which group i was were able to hold on to the kill we spent the whole night in such a horrible position without any perspective but death which seemed inevitable to us who could fill it in all its anguish at dawn the wind blew us to the coast hence we were able to swim our way to the land why in such a dangerous situation applicable to all only four have succumbed notice that in my case it is the sixth or seventh time which i escaped from such an imminent danger and more or less in the same conditions well this guy's now you would say and you know if you weren't a spiritualist today this guy is lucky i am really led to believe that an invisible hand protects me what have i done to deserve it i do not know, know much i am a worthless and useless creature in this world and i do not brag about having more value than others on the contrary among the victims of the disaster there was a dignified cleric model of evangelical virtue and a venerable nun from the congregation of saint vincent de paul who is about to accomplish the sanctified mission of christian charity it seems that fertility has a very important role in my destiny wouldn't the spirits be there for something would would that be possible to attain an explanation from them with that respect and in, inquiring for example if they are the ones who provoke or avoid the dangers which threaten us now very well well drawn out question what you know so when there's a disaster when something happens to you or you are protected from something happens to you what is the role of the spirit world let's find out according to the wishes of our correspondent we address the following questions to the spirit of saint louis who out of goodwill always communicates when there is a useful instruction to be provided this is what he said number one when there is an intimate danger threatening someone is it a spirit who guides the danger and when avoided is it another spirit who deviates them now the saint louis answered on incarnating the spirit chose chooses a trial once chosen a kind of destiny is created which cannot be conjured once the spirit is submitted to that i speak about the physical trials so this is again this is exactly what spiritism this is a good understanding of spiritism and when people talk about predetermination and predestination a lot of people say everything every choice you made was predetermined no 
And again, St. Louis saying the same thing. The physical trials, they're pretty, not always. I've seen some exceptions where they may change them, depending on the circumstance. But your physical trials, you're going to go through those. As you go on higher planets, not so much. That's why the spirit Diogenes, and I don't know what which one of this was in, when they talked to him, they said, ah, oh, you people on earth, you're slaves. Now, the spirit Diogenes was that kind of grumpy old guy, right? When Alexander the Great came up to him, says, what can I do for you? He said, get out of my, <laughs> get out of my way. You know, I want the sun on me. You know, so, and I love it because his attitude even came out when he was talking to the, the medium. But he said, yeah, you're slaves. No. So what did he mean by that? He meant by that is exactly what St. Louis was saying, that you're on earth, you're going to do, you're, you're going to go through these episodes and trials, just like you you go when you're in school, you go class from 8 to 8.50, 9 to 9.50, right? You have no choice. But how you act in class, if you listen, if you speak, if you if you try and learn something, that's up to you, right? That's your free will. But your free will gets more and more. I'll carry on. The spirit, keeping his free will regarding good and evil, is always free to withstand or reject the trial. When seeing someone abating, a good spirit may come to help, but cannot influence so as to dominate their will. They can't make you change your mind. An evil spirit that is inferior, showing and exaggerating about the physical dangers, may shock and scare, yet the will of the incarnated spirit is not less free of any hurdle. And so people have asked me questions like, okay, if you're supposed to be murdered, is that murderer destined to kill you? And the answer is absolutely not. That murderer has the free will to say, no, I'm, I'm not going to kill that person, even though that person is destined to be killed because of some previous thing. So what will happen? The intended murderer said, no, nah, I'm not going to kill anybody. And he'll, that person will walk away. But there'll be another person that has the intention of murdering and that person who has that trial will then somehow be put in in proximity to the second murder and so on and so on until someone does something bad that's how it works it shows you how much machinations there are on earth you it, it's almost inconceivable how much there are spirits around us watching us and making sure we go through our trials and tribulations helping us of course, these lesser spirits kind of not helping us to be charitable. So it, it, um, it's amazing. And I, and I know, of course, people say, well, you know, you sound like you're, you're a primitive tribesman. You know, we're the, the evil eye and, you know, the, the gods will do this. And, and, but it does. So, yes, I do. I do sound like that to, to many people. But it also shows that it doesn't mean that they were wrong. It means that we've rejected anything to do with the spirit world. Because, you know, the, the druids knew that there was incarnation and reincarnation and there was another place you went to and you'll be born again. That's why the, the, the warriors, and the, you know, in Gaul were, were pretty efficient because they just go in there and fight and say, hey, if I die, I'll, I'll, I'll come back and I'll get to fight some more. Not exactly true about fighting some more, but... Um, but that's, you know, people understood those things. Of course, we got away from that because the spirit world knew that we were going to be into a more technological age, a more materialistic age. And so we kind of pushed that down. But now it's time to bring that back up and people understand 
that we are part of the spirit realm, we are a subset of the spirit realm, and we are influenced constantly by the spirit realm. Okay, number two, a question. When a man is faced by an intimate accident, it seems to me that free will is worth nothing. I then ask if it is an evil spirit who provokes such an accident, to which he is some sort of cause, and in case the danger is avoided, if a good spirit came to help him. And here's the answer. Good or evil spirits may not suggest anything other than good or bad thoughts, according to their nature. Again, this is why it's so important that why we're here on earth is for us to learn to filter everything through our conscience. Because we'll be given all sorts of inspirations, good inspirations and bad inspirations. It's kind of like when you were 14 and talking to your friends. All their suggestions were like as dumb as they could be. And it was always centered around like something that you could do to make the other other guys laugh. At, at, you know, they're always stupid. Not always, but mostly. I remember that. So you had to have at least, uh, you know, enough intellectual capacity to know eh, that's not a good suggestion. That goes against my conscience. And that's where you'll be a happy person to keep with your conscience. Okay, I'll carry on. That accident is marked on man's destiny. When your life is in danger, so it is a sign you desire that so you can deviate deviate from evil and become better. When you escape the danger still under its influence, you think more or less strongly, depending upon the more or less strong action of the good spirits about becoming a better person. Under the influence of evil spirits, I say evil referring to the evil which still exists in them, you equally think that you will escape other dangers and again you will give in to unstoppable passions. So it could happen both ways, right? You you have a close calling. Oh, thank heavens I have a close. I survived that. I'm going to, okay, I'm learned from that. I'm not going to do that again. Although, otherwise, let's say you're a criminal and you rob someone, but you almost got caught and you go, oh, I didn't get caught. I can do it some more. Well, that was the exact wrong decision. And of course, you didn't even listen to your conscience. Number three, fatality, which seems to preside over the material destinies of life, would then be an effect of our free will. Now, the answer is you yourself has chosen your trial. The tougher it is and the better you support it, the more you elevate. Those who spend life in abundance and human happiness are the weak spirits who remain stationary. Thus, the unfortunate by far outnumbers the happy ones in the world. Hence, the spirit generally chooses the trial which produces more fruits. They see very well the futility of your greatnesses and your pleasures. Besides, even the happiest life is always agitated always perturbed, even if it's not by pain. And yes, that is true. Even the happiest life has its drawbacks. When uh, There's parts in the um, the spirits book, uh, for those who have read it, where the spirits will say, well, you know, if, if you see this, this, you know, of course it was codified in the 1850s, you see this, this coach going by with four horses and you see the people in there and you think, oh, they're so lucky. They have no worries. And they said, don't think that. There's In everyone, there's trials and tribulations and pain and challenges and hurdles. There's no one who is um, free of that. Now, there's some people who are relatively free of that. And those who live kind of what we say as a term life, many of those people come from advanced planets and are here on Earth on a mission. Those people will not experience things like cancer or uh, dramatic accidents, um, 
great losses like that because they've already gone through their trials and tribulations and, and graduated from a plan of regeneration. So they do not need to go through negative experiences because they don't have anything to pay for. So if you find someone who lives a life like that, you know that uh, they didn't come from a planet of, of atonement. They came from an advanced planet to help us. Okay, number four. We fully understand this doctrine, but this does not explain whether certain spirits have a direct action over the material causes of the accident. Suppose that at the time a man goes through a bridge, the bridge collapses. Who led the man to go through that bridge? And the answer is, when a man goes through the bridge that must fall, it is not a spirit that impels. It is the instinct of his destiny that leads him to that. Who makes the bridge collapse? Now, this is the important part. The natural circumstances, the matter has in itself the causes of destruction. In this case, if a spirit has to resort to an element foreign to his nature to move the material forces, he will preferably appeal to the spiritual intuition. Thus, should that bridge collapse, having the water disarranged the stones, stones which compose it, or the rust eroded the chains that support it, the spirit will, say, suggest that the man passes through this bridge instead of breaking one or another at the time he passes through it. In fact, you have physical evidence of what I say, whatever the accident. It always occurs naturally. That is the causes that are linked to each other and callously produce them. Again, this is backed up by other spiritualist literature. A person asked one time, because, okay, if a person dies by lightning, is, does that, is that the spirit cause that lightning to hit that guy? The answer is no. The spirits will give him intuition that he sh that that person should be under that tree or by that post be in that location the spirit will know the lightning will hit that location but the spirit will not change where the, the spirit will not make the lightning hit that person the person has to be where the lightning will hit now these are the rules these are like divine laws I, you cannot you you know and you cannot like destroy or counteract free will you can give them intuition, you give them feelings, and that's up to a person to do that or not. So it should be, it's interesting, and but it's also, uh, should be freeing because it tells us that we do have free will. And when people ask me, why is there so much chaos and, and, you know, war and hatred and revenge on the world? I say, well, it's one hyphenated word. If you want a hyphen, it's called free will. If, if the if the spirits and God and Jesus Christ wanted all to make us automatons and be you know good good little boys and girls, well he could but then we'd all be the same. The spirit world wants us all to learn and but to have our own unique personality and going through all these different combinations and and permutations, of experiences all the way from up when you're like a very immature spirit all the way up as you rise and rise that that will make uh probably you know who knows what the, uh, the number of combinations are and permutations to different unique spirits uh spirits okay um oh here's number six let us take another case in which the destruction of matter is not the cause of an accident a badly intentioned man shoots at me. The bullet hardly scratches me. Was it deviated by a good spirit? And the answer is no. What the spirit did is probably tell the man 
stand a little bit two inches to your left, then the bullet will hardly scratch you. There was another uh, part where uh, this mediums meeting interviewed a man who had died in a battle, a big battle. It was in it, it was in Italy, I think it was before World War One. It was around the 1860s or something like that. I can't remember exactly when. But even then, you know, around the time of the American uh, Civil War, there was, you know, bullets and cannons, and there was, you know, a lot of lead going through the sky. Not as much as, you know, modern machine guns, but there was a lot going around. And yet this this guy who, who, who had died in the war, and he was an officer, said, no one who died wasn't planned Everyone who died was planned to die. Everyone who was didn't die was planned to live. Now, think think of the machinations that must be done. Say, now keep your head down, right, or move over this way, or move over that way. Amazing. Okay, number seven. Can the spirits directly warn us about a danger? Here is a fact that seems to confirm it. A lady leaves her house and goes down the avenue, and an inner voice tells her, "Go home." She hesitates. The same voice is heard several times. Then she goes back. But on recovering, she says, but what am I doing at home? I'll go out. This is just the effect of my imagination. Then she goes back her way. A few steps ahead in a, a column, which was being removed from a house, hits her on the head and she falls unconscious. Which voice was that? Was it not a premonition of what was about to happen to her? And the answer is, it was the instinct. No presentiment has these characteristics. They are always vague. Now, but... There are warnings of accidents ahead by spirits. And I'll give you two examples. A friend of mine was driving along a road in, up in the mountains. And he was driving pretty fast, two-lane two road. And he could hear his father say, slow down, there's going to be a deer. And he slowed down, and it was like, oh, my father. And then... A deer just darted across him. And if he had been going the speed he was going, he would have hit. Now, there's another guy who, uh, Dr. Gary Schwartz, I could have his name wrong. And he's done a lot of uh, investigations in spirits and so forth. And he's given talks at spirits of centers. And what got him interested in this is he was in uh, traffic in uh, New York City. And he was like at the end of the traffic, right? So there's no cars behind him, but he was stopped. And a, a voice said, put your seatbelt on. And he said to his wife, we better put our seatbelt on. And he put the seatbelt on, and then he was rear-ended at a high speed. And then he goes, okay, what was that? And he spent the last, I don't know how many years, trying to figure out, okay, how could that happen? It's kind of like what happened to me, where things happen like has no rational explanation, right? But that's what that's what get people understand. Uh, start exploring the spirit world. Okay, number eight. What do you understand by the voice of instinct? Because I understand that before incarnating, the spirit has knowledge of all phases of its existence. When these phases have an essential character, the spirit retains a sort of impression on their intimate self, and such impression, awakening when the moment comes, turns into premonition. Oh, that's interesting. I read that one. So, and I, I have read where when you are in the womb, you review all your past lives, and then you lastly you review your mission, your your blueprint, your your you know successions of stuff of what you're going to do in in your future life as you you know when you're born. Okay. 
Utility of certain private evocations. The communications obtained from highly elevated spirits who animate the great characters of, of antiquity is precious for its highly educational content. These spirits have acquired a degree of perfection that allows them to cover a more extensive sphere of ideas, to penetrate mysteries beyond the reach of common humanity, and therefore, better than others, initiate us on certain things. It does not follow that communications from spirits of lower orders are useless, far from it. The observer collects many teachings from them. To learn about the customs of a people, we must study in all degrees of the scale. Uh, let me check this, make sure that I'm on. Oh, actually, I'm done. Um, this is going to be for next week. So I am, I, I will stop here. I don't want to go any further. Yep, and premonition. So I will stop this. Cut this out. There. So this is what I have. Um, I'll go over this next part uh, next week. And we're, you know, we're, and we're, it, it, I hope this is interesting to people because it it does things on on several levels. One is it gets down to the nitty gritty of what Alan Kardec experienced as he was codifying or just finished codifying Spiritism and what he had found out about spirits and the spirit world. And then it also gives us more detail of how it works, right? Because uh, Alan Kardec can put everything right. He, and he did some wonderful books. And if you're interested in spiritism, I would read all five of his main books, which is the spirits book. Let me bring that up again. And the mediums book, the book of mediums. I always get that wrong. Uh, the gospel according to spiritism, Genesis, and then uh, heaven and hell, which are all wonderful books. Now on on Monday, for those that have more questions, we do have a question and answer live stream. And here are the three books here. Let me, let me get those bigger. The Gospel According to Spiritism, which is a great book. It actually it, it helped me a lot because it explains what Jesus was talking about in the New Testament. But to us, many things I did not understand. There were many parables. I go, you know, and, and I'm probably just denser than most. But it explained exactly what what he meant by certain words, and now I go through and I'm reading New Testament. I'm giving interpretations through Spiritism, and it's helping me understand a lot more that Jesus said a lot of things that were just patently true in the spirit world, but seemed like parables and seemed like a little bit of misdirection or you know fuzzy, I should say, but they weren't. Then the mediums book. Now, for those who are interested at all in mediumship. Or who've had experience with uh, spirits, I heartily uh, urge people to read the mediums book and, of course, in the spirits book. All these available on PDF. And again, lastly, my Spiritism 101, uh, the third revelation, it's on my website, nwspiritism.com, and you can download that for free uh, in PDF. All these are free in PDF. Now, if, then, if you want more of an overview of the spirit realm, Kind of an explanation of of the, the, the overall spirit realm because we are a subset of the spirit realm of this logical uh construction and then the earth itself and other planets are more like simulators that we go through and we learn and then what you are as a spirit how you ascend as a spirit i go in, in deeper in all these things in my other books but this one kind of gives you set the tone it gives you the whole the whole processes right because i know 
when I listen to people talking about spiritism and so on, and 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 they they do a better job than I do when they talk about how to change your character and your love and all this. But my approach is just a little bit different. I try to bring that in too because that's you know that is really important why we're here, right? Is to is to modify our uh, rewire our brain to be more loving and calm and cool and fraternal. But I also really. I think at least to my way of thinking, the way I, I think is I want to know what's the process, what's the organization of this world that does of this spirit realm that has so much effect upon us. You know, should I go with the flow? Should I fight it? Right. Cause we all have these, you know, these rebellious thoughts sometimes and uh, I lay it out for you or I'm hoping you make the decision like oh, this thing is everything. Cause you know, I even did a video one time was, the matrix, you can't escape it because you cannot exist outside of it. You are part of it. It's like if you're a character in a video game, you can't live outside that video game. Yeah, it's not, not going to happen. You're always going to be in that video game. Same thing with the spirit realm. We're going to be in the spirit. We may, we may uh, modify ourselves and have more power and more responsibilities, but you're never going to get out of it. So you might as well learn how to succeed and how to be happy and you and in fact the more you you humble yourself this is why christ said you have to have the humbleness of a child right to rise to heaven the more i the more i see that that is true it's like you just have to say oh i want to learn i want to learn from these higher spirits and embrace it and you'll be rewarded beyond your measure and you'll be able to do intellectual work and facilitate things that are just going to be so exciting for you that um, your immortal life will never be dull and it will be wonderful anyway i want to thank everyone for being with me tonight and i want to wish everyone god bless god bless